Let's Talk Native is produced at the LTN Studios on the Cattaraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. We break all the rules for Native media by peeling back the layers of assimilation and indoctrination. No prayers, no buffalo speeches, and no spirituality shows. While this podcast does not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do take a tough look at history, oppression, and our survival. But the real goal here is to bring our people together by breaking down what separates us. So, welcome to Let's Talk Native with John Kane. Sego and welcome to Let's Talk Native. I am John Kane. I am your host. And I want to do something a little different with this show and actually the, the next uh, and the show after this. We're going to do a two-part series, and this will be part one, obviously, uh, of that series. And what, what I'm going to talk about is warrior society. And I don't mean just a specific warrior society, although we'll start, we'll start there. But, but what this concept has come to mean, where it comes from, uh, you know, how it's, how the, the idea was structured. So we're going to get into, into a bunch of that. And my guest is my, my longtime friend, Dagarundege, otherwise known in some parts as Paul Bellarone. Um, and so Paul will be joining me because basically he's been with this concept. And I say from the beginning, but what I mean is from the beginning of, uh, of almost the resurgency, I would say, you know, of, of the warrior society, um, with, you know what some call the sovereignty movement, um, but I so, so I want to we'll go from there. So first, let me go ahead and introduce uh, my friend Dego Rundege. Uh, Paul, it's great to have you back on the program. It's been it's been a little bit, so it's good to have you joining me. Oh, I'm glad to be on today. Yeah. So let me. I guess let me just get to the basics, and we there's a lot of illusions or. Um, uh, ideas that people have about what is or isn't um, a warrior society, and of course, when when people even use that expression, oftentimes their their imagination or their their minds go straight to uh, where um, to the to the Mohawks, to the to uh, you know Gunawage and uh, and um, you know and what we've seen in in some of these this these acts of resistance and sometimes defiance against Canada and the United States. Um, so let me, let, let me just put it back to you. Where did you and, and, and some of the guys that, that you um, grew up with in, you know, in, in basically within this context of, of, a, of a growing uh, sense of really asserting native identity and that kind of stuff. Where did, where did the, the warrior society uh, idea um, spring from, and you know, and how does it begin? Well, John, uh, I mean, I have to say, you know, uh, for me, it was it has been my whole life. Uh, I mean, I grew up in a family uh, and around people of the Longhouse who have always been, as far as I can remember, been a very strong people. Uh, people who spoke out for what they stood for and what they believed, and uh, it was always about our people, our about our ways, about uh, the way uh, you know the way we see and our connection to everything that we know is real that creation shows us. 
And so uh, at an early age of uh, five years old, I was involved, I was uh, part of the family, my grandfather, my grandmother, others like uh, Standing Arrow and uh, Mad Bear Anderson and uh, many different people. And uh, together, uh, some got right involved, like my family and Standing Arrow's family. And we took over land in the Mohawk Valley. This was back in the 50s when the when the seaway came to Kahnawaga and Akujasne. And uh, because uh, so many of our people weren't prepared to stand and fight for these, uh, you know, and our family did. I mean, my great-grandparents almost got blown up in their home. The Army Corps engineers dug right around their house, and their house was on a mush, like on a mushroom. And they told me, if you don't get out, we're going to blow you up with, with it and that. And, uh, you know, it was the family that managed to talk my great-grandparents out of coming out of that house. But other people's homes were burnt and so on. And, and my grandfather and others were uh, standing up against it. But too many of our people backstabbed. And so my grandfather didn't want to stay there. So he organized a group, and we went and took over land in Omaha Valley. We were there for a little over a year and that, and promises were made to us and that. And people have to remember, at that time, we didn't really have any really articulate English speakers, and we didn't know that much about the white man's law other than that it didn't help us. And uh, so we moved back. And my, I always ask my grandmother, why did we leave? Because as a child, some of the fondest memories were there. And my grandmother used to always say, listen and learn, and someday we'll return. And so growing up in Ghanawaga and always being at the longhouse and uh, listening to the old timers and so on. And that I, I and my others, we really believed in what our parents and grandparents were telling us, what our aunts and uncles and what the people were showing us. And we always understood that we had our own way and that the government was forcing things upon us that was not acceptable to our people because we knew it was the thing that was going to destroy us. So we, we, you know, we we did everything to try to retain who we are, and and for a long time we had no more songs, we had no dances left in Ghanawaka because being a longhouse person, uh, you are an outlaw, and if you tried to practice ceremony or anything, your ceremonies got raided like a, it was a big drug bust. And our women, children, and people had to run through the bushes to get away from the RCMP. In 1924, they finally let our people uh, uh, do things without uh, raiding them anymore because they believed we were done. But no, we continued. And so growing up and listening to all these things from the old people and that, and uh, they, you know, they helped us and we, they brought up our songs and our dances and that back in the 60s and we just became very involved, and uh, we found great spirit in our work. songs and dances. The young people came, and everybody had a good time, grandmothers and grandfathers and parents and everybody, we, children. We all had a good time singing and dancing, but there was more to our ways than singing and dancing, and we kept listening to the stories and the things that they talked about, and, that, and so they mentioned to us about the responsibilities of people. And one of the responsibilities of a part of our society was the men. And they talked about the men's council fire and that the men had a right to counsel and the men could, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, work on things. And so this is, uh, this is what we started to do. Uh, 
And uh, so as a singing society, we, we decided we wanted to be uh, um, uh, the men's fire, the men's society, and take on responsibility. And so we went to the council, uh, like the Rodianes, and we asked them to sanction us. And they said to us, we can't do that. And we said, why not? We were kind of shocked because you're, these are the people who are teaching us, and they're telling us they can't sanction us. And then they said, it's already prescribed in Guyana Regoa. You do not need our permission. It's up to you to take responsibility, and you rekindle your fire. And so we were really glad about that, and uh, we started to do this. And and then uh, and then what you call it? We you know uh, we started uh, organizing more things. We you know we started more organizing social dances and. Um, you know, and all, all, you know, now things were starting to happen all over, and people like uh, Louis Hall, who uh, he and Pete Dion used to write the Longhouse News and stuff like that, and uh, a lot of people, the Christians especially, were so opposed to it. The elective system was so opposed to these guys' writings and that. But as much as people criticized it, everybody was reading it. Let me let me, let me just so let me was, let me stop you just for a second because, you know, the, yeah, I, I, during this this process, I mean, where you were transitioning from almost exclusively being a singing society and starting to do more, it's my understanding that that you guys already began traveling to some extent and you were actually going oh, yeah. to other territories to learn songs and to bring some of those songs back. I, so it seems oh, like yeah. there was already a yeah. network that was beginning. You know, as a singing society, that would actually feed some of this uh, other responsibility. Oh yeah, because we traveled. I mean, uh, we went out to Anadaga, and uh, we got sounds from guys like Gordon Peters. We went out to uh, uh, Tanawanda. You know, we went to Oswego. We went to wherever we knew somebody who was a, a good singer. We went out and found Tom Lewis and. You know, uh, guys like this, and then we had recordings of Asana. People might remember him. Uh, well, maybe not. But uh, an old time, his name was Asana, who was Webster, uh, uh, Webster, Q, uh, no, Cusick. Uh, well, I can't remember his first name. But anyway, uh, we got all these recordings, and we started bringing it back. And, uh, you know, we just, we we organized ourselves, and we made, like, small, like, caravans, and, we start traveling to every community we could, and that to try to bring uh, an awareness to young people. But when we met, we sent word ahead of time. And the thing is that we didn't just pack up and decide we're going to do this. One of the things we learned was before we set out to do anything, uh, we went to the people and we told the people what it was we uh, wanted to do. And so they would gather us at the longhouse and they would make what they call a bundle which is our instructions of what our mission was going to be and that we were cautioned to only um, carry out what our mission is and that we were not ever to be distracted from what we're doing. Like, I mean, as young guys, you travel around, you see a nice pretty girl, you want to get acquainted. But when we traveled, yes, we were very nice to people, but we kept it in our minds that we could not bring shame to our people. We could not embarrass our people. So we had to be always on our best behavior. No matter what, what mission we were on, we always had a bundle made. We never acted on our own because the things we knew we were young, we knew we were learning, and uh, we wanted that guidance from people who knew what we believed better than us. 
And so that's what we followed. And and all of a sudden, you know, like uh, you know, people uh, people who were, were always were uh, conditioned to hate the longhouse uh, really really had uh, you know bad thoughts and bad things that they wanted to do. And I, but we stuck together and we worked, but we always went into the communities and talked to people. Now, and I, also, and I guess I also wanted to mention that, you know, the stories that I that I've heard, you know, especially from Gunawage, was was this whole notion that yes, you know, to to a large extent, any um, longhouse uh, practices, you know, had gone underground for a period of time, and it was during this this oh, time yeah. that you're talking about. Where all of a sudden the longhouses started having more and more people attending, and the songs were resonating and essentially echoing, <laughs> echoing through the community, and even the non-longhouse people, even the Christians, were oftentimes being seen standing a distance back from the longhouse, just observing and listening and 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 just hearing the songs, and and were already beginning to connect to this part of the culture that had uh, that had you know had essentially been gone for a while so there was there was a resonance that was happening within the community as as i understood it yes it was the music you know one thing about our music uh, young or old when a person even if they've never heard these, this music before when they hear the beating of the drum and they hear those voices singing and that everybody wants everybody wants that connection but the thing is that so many of the christians uh they were hiding in the around in the bushes, and you knew they were there because you could see the light of their cigarette and that they're all listening and watching, and that. But one of the things about the, the older people is they even made outfits for their children so the children can come and dance with us, and it just kept growing and growing, and finally. They start coming out of the bushes and <laughs> they started getting involved in that. So even and, even uh, though even though some of those folks would not necessarily publicly demonstrate that they have you know moved away from the the, the church, they were actually encouraging their kids to to go to Longhouse even before they yes. they would cross that line. Well, that's interesting. That's that's fascinating. Yes, because I mean, any parent when you see your children going to a place, you know it's uh, alcohol free. And that there's grandmothers and grandfathers and people to look out for you. And every time we had a, a social gathering, the women brought food and that. And all the kids, everybody ate. Everybody had a good time. And the storytelling in between the songs and so on. I mean, this is where the young people were learning so much. And uh, and so we just kept on growing. And, and, uh, and then... Uh, as we were getting older, you know, things were happening around us. And, uh, you know, there were, you know, uh, issues concerning land. There was issues concerning our rights and so on, like the border crossing rights and so on. And, you know, and we got involved in all these things. We went out there to help out in any way we could. And that, but we always had the support of the people. We never acted on our own. And so, uh, so then when we rekindled the fire and that the men's count fire and then I tell people there was only seven of us at the beginning and for a number of years it was only the seven of us and then uh, you know there was issues concerning education and you know and uh, it was a mix of some guys and some of the women we took over Indian affairs that was the same time uh, the longest walk they took over the BIA 
we didn't know. It was just by coincidence that we both we occupied both um, Indian bureaus in North America. The trail of, and, uh, of broken trees and, and that kind of thing uh, that was taking place in Watford. Yeah, yeah. You guys were doing the same thing I, in Ottawa. Yeah, my yeah my father and my cousins they were all on that uh, uh, trail of broken trees and and uh, you know uh, seven of uh, five of us guys and three of the women. Uh, it was, we. We we needed uh, tuition paid for our children because uh, we started our own school at that time, and at, uh, our school was already going uh, that year we started, and now uh, we were helping out wherever we could. But it was hard for us to keep teachers because they had to get paid, and uh, people people you have to have a salary. They need to eat and pay their bills, and so we said, you know. We're going to get uh, monies, and we demanded that monies come out of uh, what we call the uh, Indian Trust Fund. We didn't want, uh, like, BIA funds, like uh, government funds. We wanted our money, and so we occupied Indian Affairs. We, we, we held it a couple of days, and, uh, and they finally agreed, and they reneged, and we went back, this time with a bigger force, and we took over the building. Yeah, but this time, we struck a lot of fear in them. And so they gave us the tuition, but more than that, they gave us a school, and they gave us a school bus, and they bought us state dinners. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, but the thing is, you know, we went, we always, you know, had uh, peace on our minds, but we always expected that we were going to get into uh, a fight with them, because that's the only way to, uh, the outside knew how to deal with Indians was either lie to us and have us accept their lies or beat us up and throw us in jail. Well, we were prepared for whatever was going to come, but we were not leaving without getting what we went for. And so that school, I'm proud to say, is now over 50 years that school is still running. And it's, it's probably one of the best schools in Indian country. And, uh, and I'm very proud of it, you know. And so... Watch out! We just kept on, and then uh, when we uh, there was the old, the people of Kahnawake, uh we were starting to get overrun by non-natives. We had something like 2,900 non-natives living in Kahnawake. Meanwhile, our families, young families, have to leave because there's no land, no grants, and no houses. Now, so now how does how does outside. that how does that happen? Is this because of intermarrying, or you know, or oh, you know, no, no, just this taking up uh, no. lots, or what? No, it's uh, because the thing is that some non-natives could get a, a status card. They, you know, for some, they they know who they know who palms to Greece, or um, you know, there was many ways that they got a bank card, and they would get the grants, and they get their land allotment. And the people said, enough of this. And the thing is, for generations, our people who wanted these non-natives of the territory. You know, there were some non-natives who were. You know, people had no problem with them. Like, we had a blacksmith come in, and he and his family, and he repaired all the things for uh, our people. We had a baker. We had, you know, different people like that. So that was good. But we had a whole bunch of people who just wanted to get away from paying taxes and living on our land and uh, uh, depriving our people. And so the old people had enough and said, that's it. You know, you guys, you know, we got to do something about this. So they decided they were going to, Give notice and uh, serve uh, eviction notice on these people, and so they asked. Uh, they asked us. I guess that we would support them, and we said, if this is what you've decided, of course we will stand and support you. Well, and let's, so we well, let me, hold, hold up. Hold up just for a minute. So at this point, 
or you know, you mentioned Rudy Skeldergeth. So, are you now identifying yourselves as uh, as the men, and is and has this transition to being referred to as the Warrior Society, or not yet? No, no, we were always Rudy Skeldergeth. Right. No, I understand that. Uh, but you know what happened was that. You know, uh, we used to go and talk to different uh, older people, you know, for uh, knowledge and instructions and so on. And uh, one of them says to us, you know, he says, uh, you guys uh, sometimes find yourself in some very tense situations. He says, you know, he says, you're so few. And he says, you got to understand, he says, we, we as Native people, we are in a psychological war. And so he says, you should build your uh, psychological arsenal. And we're just kind of, you know, kind of, we have big eyes and big ears and wondering what the hell is this guy really talking about? And he says, look, he says, the white man has portrayed the Uwahunwe man as being a savage, as being a killer, as being all these negative things, the fighting Indians of the Americas, the young bucks. And this and that. He says, so he says, why don't you use a psychological weapon? He says, uh, why don't you, in English, he says, refer to yourselves as a warrior society. And, uh, and you know, and it worked on that because there were only seven of us. And so we asked him, he was an artist. That's really how we asked him. He said, make us a, like a crest and that. And so we had this, he made us this crest. He said, because we had a crest as a senior society, you know, uh, and uh, and so we wanted one for as a Rudiskoregeta and uh, as a warrior society. So he made us one, and uh, and then uh, we we went to a printer to have it made uh, these crests. And the printer there says, you know, instead of you just buying seven, he says, for a little bit more money, he says, uh, it would uh, be cheaper. He says you could get like two hundred and fifty of these crests. And we thought, geez, what are we doing so many? So we thought, well, we'll have spares, and so we did buy it, and that. And so when we came home, we put these crests on our jacket. All the young people, everybody loved this crest, and everybody wanted one. So the seven of us had a meeting about it, and we says, "What are we gonna do?" Uh, so we said, "Well, why don't we just give it to them?" So we start handing them out to all the young people, and then all of a sudden, everybody's got this under jacket now all of a sudden and in them days everybody wore blue jean jacket denim and so they started to refer to us as the blue jackets and everybody had this crest so you know now when uh, the bank council or the police or uh you know anybody looked at us they didn't see only a few anymore they seen you know they seen a couple of hundred of these crests all over the community and that uh, and so it really had a big effect, and uh, and then more young people were open to hearing what we were about and what we were trying to do and what we were working for and so on. And, you know, and so we had a lot more, like, moral support. But when the eviction happened, these young people came out of the woodwork. Holy moly. And when the police invaded our territory and that, and we struck back. You know, when we saw them... Uh, abusing our women and uh they attacked us and that then we we all hell broke loose and that and we just used our bare hands and we flipped their cars over we ran them off the territory and they were crying like baby girls you know and then hours later they came back marching with guns 
And that, and so in them days, all we had was like shotguns and hunting rifles and stuff like that. So we all went because we knew we were going to have to defend ourselves. And we had a big standoff for I don't know about three months or something. And and uh, that was right after Wounded Knee. So I mean, and that, so and so, it, so you guys, you guys knew early on that arming yourselves um, was was necessary and and although yes. you guys were were you know there there i can't think of any stories about you guys ever abusing that that power that came with arming yourselves um it was clear that that you needed to not only demonstrate resistance with with your bodies but you had to demonstrate even to you know, um, a disproportionately larger group of armed men that that you guys were prepared to, uh, you know, um, to shoot back if necessary. Yeah, I mean, it was simple. You know, if if a, like uh, nobody's afraid of a bear when you pull out all its claws and uh, you know take out his teeth. You know, there's very little that the bear could do. Uh, you know, and that's why in circuses, uh, you know, they got these guys wrestling a bear, you know, because he's got no more claws and he's got no more fangs. And, I, well, you know, in creation, every single creature and that uh, was instilled in them by creation, what's called self-preservation. Even a mouse, if you corner a mouse, most of the time a mouse and even a bear will try to avoid you. But when you corner them and give them no alternative, they will fight back. And that, and you sometimes you see a little mouse jumping at a dog or a cat. And, and the cat and dog, they're not so eager just to jump in and attack that mouse because they know that mouse might hurt them. And so this is what we understood is that if we don't, if we don't show them we have claws and if we don't show them we have teeth, they're just going to come in and beat us all up and throw us in jail and do, have their way with us. Well, we were not going to allow that to happen because we've seen it happen too many times. And there's no way I'm going to stand by and let my grandmother or my, my aunts, my parents, my, anybody, I won't stand by to watch them be abused. But, but, to, be, but again, to, 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 be, to be clear, you guys didn't arm yourselves for the evictions. You basically no. only armed yourselves when the out when the outside forces were, uh, um, you know, were, right. were coming down on you. I mean, because I, yeah. I think it's important that people yeah. realize that that there there's no instances where uh, where anybody you know you know uh, representing themselves as as the warriors or the warrior society took up arms against their own people. No, in fact, everything we were doing was peaceful, and that. The only thing we were armed with was with a notice telling the non-natives they had 30 days to leave, and if they needed more time, they should go to the council and, and to the Rodionesu and talk to them and that. And some of them who were farmers and that, the uh, Rodionesu gave them a year. And that's so they could get their harvest in and uh, uh, find a new farm and, uh, you know, move their cattle and everything else. So, I mean... Uh, our people were not mean about it, but and we also explained why we were doing that, and that. But it was the man council was against it, and Indian affairs and so on. They were against us, and that. And uh, so, what's called when we fi finally we got attacked, we weren't armed or anything. And then they sent in riot squads with shields and helmets, and they looked like Gestapo. And they came in and they started clubbing us. And we did whatever we could to defend ourselves because we had nothing. We didn't even have a stick. 
And I, that day, that day, I got two of my ribs broken. My uncle got three of his ribs broken, and we got people who got pretty badly bruised, men and women. And and that's when, uh, enough was enough. And uh, our people with no weapons, we went after the police, and we flipped their cars over. We ran them right out of the community. But they came back armed like military. They came in marching with guns and so on. And we knew that this, there was no turning back. And uh, so we did what we had to. And they started, so many of them. And they were running around all over our community and beating people off and stuff. And so we just started to fight back. All of a sudden, we were uh, at the Longhouse. We were under siege. And uh, people who were prepared to and fight came and stood with us and that and and then the call went out and Uncle Homer came from all over North America and uh, from as far as Oklahoma, California, South Dakota, they came from British Columbia, they came from the Maritimes, they came from all over and that uh, and there were thousands and the people were all over and Canada realized that they made a big mistake that now you had thousands of Native people who were ready to do whatever was necessary, but they were not going to allow something to happen again like what happened at Wounded Knee. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yes. So you know, um, so some of these and, other territories, and, and now they they started, uh, of course, you know, there was there was the American Indian movement, and that was, you know, taking um, you know, root in some places. But there were also many of these territories that, that were, were opting to follow the warrior society model that you guys had already, uh, had already begun? Well, because, uh, you know, we had become very well acquainted with the American Indian movement. And uh, they asked us if we would uh, join forces. And, uh, and so we brought it to the council. We took it all the way to Grand Council. And we, we asked them. We asked them for their advice and guidance. And... Then it was explained to us, we are part of a people. We are nations. Whereas the American Union movement, yes, they are Native people, and that, but they're an organization. They don't represent, you know, uh, they don't re- represent the way we do. And that, that we have our own government. Whereas they were, the American Union movement, I mean, I have the greatest respect for them. And that, but they were an organization, and uh, we had ways to protect ourselves, and this is why uh, we they couldn't infiltrate us as they did the American Union movement, mm-hmm. and so we were we were uh, told, you know that you know we were free to join, but to remember that if we joined an organization contrary to the end goal, we would be alienating ourselves. And, uh, and so uh, what we did then was we spoke with the American Union movement, we talked with them, and, you know, and we came to an understanding that we would stand together, but the American Union movement could not represent us, that we would represent ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and people like Vernon Balcourt, Dennis Banks, Russell, everybody, they all understood that. But they didn't have traditional councils the way we did in the Iroquois territories, the Rutinushuni, and that. And so uh, they were kind of handicapped in that way. And uh, even though they had support of the traditional peoples and so on, but their their ways of government have been totally overrun by uh, the United States and Canada. And uh, but we somehow, as Rutinushuni, we maintained it. 
you know, as as broken as it was, we, it was still being maintained to the best of our ability. And uh, and it was getting stronger. It was getting stronger uh, each each year. We were getting stronger and uh, and more and more awareness. Hey, Dega, uh, on, uh, so, uh, with the time we have left in in this uh, this episode, I, I do want to move a little bit into um, the organization and and the fact that that you guys became um, a, a, uh, able to fund yourselves. And and I know tobacco comes into into the conversation, but. But walk us through a little of that and how th- that, you know, you, you enabled you were enabled to uh, to not only create an organization, but create pockets of, 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 uh, of funding that could go to various parts of the community. Break that in that and then then we'll take a break and uh, and uh, and we'll we'll pick up episode two after that. Yeah. OK, well, you know, when we first started, you know. Uh, like the guys, we get together and, uh, you know, we all, every time we had a meeting, we threw two bucks into the, to the hat. And, uh, you know, so if ever we decide we need to do something to go somewhere, you know, this collection it would accumulate and we use that or else, uh, when we met with, uh, the council and the people and that, then, uh, they would pass the hat and everybody would, uh, chip in and help us and that for gas money and, you know, to uh, and to be able to eat. And when we went to other territories, the people over there, they helped us. They made collections. They fed us. They put us up and everything and that. But, you know, uh, a lot of times, you know, distances, you know, uh, depending on the time of year, we would pick cabbage or cucumbers or apples or something to make money along the way to, to keep us going. And uh, a lot of times we slept under overpasses and in fields, you know, and uh, just to be able to get our word out. And uh, so we talked about this. And we said, you know, uh, this is really hard. And uh, and it's uh, sometimes you know, not all of the communities, uh, you know, have full pockets, you know. So we, we looked at what was going on in the United States when people were selling cigarettes and stuff like that. and making, So we decided we would you know, uh, try to start and sell cigarettes and uh, be able to make money, you know, and start to put money towards building an economic uh, uh, system for our people to finance things our people needed. And uh, and so that's what we did. We started selling cigarettes. And, uh, you know, everybody was, you know, saying, you know, how can you do this? Do you have a license? And we said, yes, we have a license. And uh, basically, I, I showed them the license I carried. It was you know, three baseball bats and three shotguns in my truck. Because <laughs> I said I was going to defend this. I was going to defend this no matter how. I was going to defend this. Side. Nobody had the right to deprive me and my people of having an economic uh, right. No, in the, in uh, the beginning, right in, in the beginning there was only, uh, you know, very few that were, were had uh, had taken this uh, this path. And, and I know you guys uh, had begun the flea market there. And so you not only had uh, a variety of, um, you know, uh, res- uh, sellers well, that were doing. Came a, yeah, the flea market came a little bit later. See, we all we did was we only sold cigarettes on the weekend. Okay. And because uh, I was teaching high school at the time, and uh, we on the Saturday and Sunday we sell the cigarettes. Uh, I never kept a cent from it. All the money that uh, we made from selling cigarettes, uh, I always threw everything back into the till, except to pay the guys that were working there all day long, and that and. Uh, 
you know, and there, were, there was only four of us doing that. But more and more of the uh, the people started coming around, men and women, and they brought their families, and it became kind of became a family event every weekend. And uh, and so more and more people came, and uh, and we sold cigarettes for a year and a half before anybody else would dare. They wanted to see what was going to happen to me, and uh, and after a year and a half, and then. They said, look, he's able to sell. Nobody's bothering him. All of a sudden, the smoke shops went up, and people came to us. And we started financing. Uh, all of a sudden, we had 70 smoke shops in, in our community. Uh, we financed uh, half of them. Now, were, and, you, uh, were you also uh, involved in, in, uh, in wholesaling to them, too, or, or, or were you just financing? You know, for, yeah. Okay, so you were wholesaling, yeah. and, you were, and you were you know, basically taking some, some position with, uh, with many of these shops. Yes, yes, we fi- we financed. Plus, we were supplying because a lot of them were afraid to go and get the secrets. Right. And uh, but we had such a network, uh, and it wasn't just people in Ganoas. We had people from Aguilas, uh, we had people from Cataraugus, we had people from all over. And we we had a network, and we were moving all these secrets. And that uh, and uh, what's called then we we put together a system that for every carton we sold. 27 cents went to the men. 27 cents went to the women. And that, and the men and women could decide what they wanted to do with that for men's projects or women's projects. And that, and we put um, seven cents aside for the, for the community, seven cents aside for the nation, seven cents aside for the Confederacy. And we put a dollar aside for, uh, you know, uh, what we call land society that we will use these monies to start getting land back that our people could control. And we also put a dollar aside for uh, what we call tobacco society, which was really for economic development. And the rest of the money we put back into uh, our operations to use as the capital to keep building our industry. And, that, and, and so now, you know, we're able to uh, finance a lot of sporting activities, um, you know, all kinds of, uh, you know, uh, put uh, new porches on people's houses, windows and doors and roofs, and whatever people needed to help, help them out, you know, because a lot of people needed the help. And uh, and they were always told uh, the, the bank council will help you, but they didn't, they picked and choose who they'd help, whereas right. we would help anybody who came to us. No, I also, and, uh, know, that, I also so, know that you guys, you know, from an organizational standpoint, from the Warrior Society themselves, you, you, you be obviously you were self sufficient, so. You um you ha- you had a base of operation. You guys became a little bit more equipped. Yeah. I know there was radios. I recall one time being up there when uh when somebody passed a counterfeit bill into one of the shops and the yeah. and the word went out and and you guys you know flocked and actually caught, you know, got the guy. It was uh it was to see oh, the, yeah. or- the organization and how quickly you guys could could be mobilized just for the passing of a counterfeit bill. It was uh it was amazing to watch, but it gave it, it gave a clear indication uh, about the efficiency with which you guys operated, how quickly you guys could mobilize, uh, how how good your communication system was, and and how much the community relied on you guys. Yes, because the community relied on us to watch if any outsiders came in that they wouldn't try to uh, take our children and uh, molest our children or else to uh, try to uh, sell drugs into our communities. And that uh, we caught so many drug dealers and we just turned them over to the police mm-hmm. with the evidence and all. And we said, look, these are your people. You take responsibility for them. Because we didn't have jails and all that kind of stuff. Sure. And that, you know, and uh, 
making them run the gauntlet at that time was uh, unacceptable by the by everybody in the world. I guess. Yeah. Well, well, let's let's no, do, I mean, let, let's do this. Let's you know, let's give it this uh, a break here, um, and and okay. we'll and we'll pick it up for the next episode where we'll get into. You know, obviously, we we can talk about the successes, but there's also you know some of the areas that that where things start to break down a little bit, and and I want to look talk about the legacy of what was begun during this period of time, um, you know, for better or worse, and and of course, you know, where we find ourselves now. So we'll take a break now, uh, you know, folks for. for those of you who are listening who don't know, um, Paul Delarone, Dagarundege, uh, is my guest for, for this program and the next. Uh, we are talking about where warrior society, the notion and the idea uh, was developed and, and, how, um, and how, we, how it came to be and, uh, and, and where things are now. So we'll, uh, this will conclude episode one. Uh, we'll, we'll pick it up in the next episode. So, you know, again, check, check this program out, share this program and be sure to check out the next one. This is John Kane with Paul Delarone, Dagarundege. Uh, and this is, this is Let's Talk Native. Yahweh. No